0: Of righteousness, and we're going to look at this. Just a little bit of back, uh, Paul is not really asking us to be kind of militant and walk out of here and be these like Christian soldiers causing uh, battles with everyone we come across. Paul is tied to a Roman uh, soldier, he's imprisoned and he's arrested and he's looking for a great metaphor to describe what the Christian life is like. And he's tied to this Roman soldier who's probably shared the gospel with. We called him Nigel last week. And he, he, no, Cyril, who was the son of Nigel. And he's now probably become a Christian, likely. Who knows? But either way, there's a great metaphor. And he's like looking at this and going, this is how God prepares us for the life that he has for us. This is kind of how we need to think about it. So it's a metaphor for us to understand spiritual battles that we go fight. And, And Paul is clear, like, you know, imagine he's uh, chained to this Roman soldier. So when he says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood. You know, it's a very personal thing. He's like, Cyril is not my enemy. Rome is not my enemy. Remember Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive, those, uh, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No one is your enemy. No one is my enemy. Paul goes, Our battle is against principalities and powers of the dark world against the enemy who has these schemes, these clever tactics to get at us, to trip us up, to wedge us um, out of God's will and plans for our lives. So he's be saying, uh, let's wake up and be super discerning about how the enemy comes to try and trip us up and slip us up in life. And, and here's how you can prepare yourself. And he's helping us think about uh, what we put on. And in putting on, uh, in, they would understand this, the, the hearers would understand this better than us because we lose the plural and we lose the, the tense of the, ver- the, the words and the verbs. But basically, Paul is saying, you together put on God's strength. He's, he's not, in a sense, not calling you, us as individuals, to do something in our own strength. But hey, you guys, collectively, collectively put on the strength that you have in God and let God strengthen you for the battle against his enemy. And that's kind of the backdrop. So today we have the breastplate of righteousness, and um, so we're looking at this. Uh, the devil's schemes are always disruptive to relationships. So how do I know? You know, It's like I go for a job interview, and I, I don't get it. It would have been a great promotion. If I got that job, we would have been able to buy that house. If we bought that house, we would have been able to really like live our dream. And so I don't get the promotion. I'm like, oh. I know I'm in a spiritual battle. Is that really what the devil's like spending his time doing? Just like stopping individuals from getting jobs? You know, like, I mean, maybe, but but probably not. We've got to be careful to think that things that stand against our will are spiritual battles. What is almost always certain that that God's enemy is on about is disrupting relationships. That's always true. So relationships with God, I think, Brian, you can show there's a slide. I don't know if it comes now. Here it is. We have a relationship with God, and we have a relationship with others. Remember Genesis? God creates humanity, and He says it's not good for man to be alone. So He made Eve uh, so that we can share relationship with one another and with God. That's what we we made to be in, in relationships. This was the problem of sin, is it broke our relationship with God. This is why Jesus came, to reconcile us to God. It was all about relational connection. And so Jesus comes, reconnects us with God, and because we reconnected with God, we can re-engage with people as we ought to re-engage with people, no longer using people for our selfish gain. Remember Adam and Eve's sons? One son kills, murders his brother. Relationships are broken. And we see this every day. You've experienced this. I've experienced this. Relationships are broken. People hurt each other. But because of our relationship with God that's been restored... He teaches us through His Holy Spirit and His Word how to treat each other in grace and compassion. If you go read the New Testament uh, uh, instructions about relationships, it's like, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. uh, However you can, be gracious towards one another. That's incredible. If you read the New Testament just for the instructions on relationships, it's the best instruction manual on how to treat people in the world. Because that's what God fixes. Not only, you know, so yes, we're excited about heaven. Yes, we're excited about eternal life. But what is heaven? What is eternal life but ongoing relationship with God and others? And so the enemy comes to disrupt relationships always. And I think it's a fair question to go, um, you know, why, 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 are you <laughs> and why are you and I how did we get in the eye of the enemy? You know, what were you doing? What were you, you know, I didn't do anything wrong yesterday. Like I wasn't looking for it. Did you ever end up uh, in a fight, maybe more the boys than the girls, did you ever end up in a fight in high school that you weren't looking for? Almost, sometimes. I ended up in almost one fight that I was looking for. Uh, stupid. But you ever end up in a situation where you're like, oh no, this is going bad and I wasn't looking for it. Um, Or I guess nowadays with social media, you could like make a joke and realize you've lit a fire that you weren't looking for. You know, it's fair to go, you know, I've done nothing but loved God. Like, why would I be the target of the enemy? Here's why. Because when God made humanity, God used these incredibly loving words to describe his creation. He looked at humankind and he went, very good. God loved humanity. He loved His creation. And cre- uh, we were made for this relationship with God that no other creature in all of creation can share and have. We were given this. We, were, we, were, we have this. And the, Satan, the devil, hates God. He's fundamentally jealous of God. He wants what God has. God's glory, God's praise, God's worthiness. Uh, he wants it, the attention. So it's not so much that you and I are that big a deal. It's that in his jealousy and hatred for God, he he is the antithesis of God. So if God loves, he hates. And so what do you think his disposition is towards God loves humanity and wants to redeem it? The antithesis of that is that the enemy hates humanity and wants to destroy it. Not because we're special in our own right, but because we're special in God's eyes. And so, Jesus says, Satan comes to rob, kill, and destroy. That's how you're going to experience him in life. He's going to come and rob, kill, and destroy. He says, but I've come, the antithesis, that you may have life and life abundantly. This is, this is what we have. An enemy that hates God and hates everything God loves. And Jesus, who comes to wage war for us because God loves us so if god is creative the enemy is destructive if god is truth then the enemy is the father of lies if god desires to give life the enemy decides to take life if god's inclinations are always and only for good then the devil's inclinations are always and only for evil this isn't an enemy you want to kind of put up with in your life remember jesus says, satan comes as an angel of light so the tricks and the schemes, they don't come looking like Halloween witches in your life so that you can be like, ah, no, I'm not going like, to pursue that. They come looking as temptations that are aesthetically pleasing or alluring or this is how you can get your dreams or this is how you can achieve your will and it's okay. Huh, yeah, okay. That, that makes sense to me. So that's how we come into his view because God so loves us. Let me, let me. I, I wrote some, I've, I've only given one example on the board, but I'll read a few. I thought it would be fun, and you might not like this, please, please bear with me. I thought it would be fun to take God's word and rewrite it as the devil's word. Just to understand, what, like if the devil had a Bible, what would, it, what would it say if we read it? If it's the antithesis of God. So that's why you might not like it. I'm not saying it's sacred and you shouldn't even listen to it, but it is interesting what comes out. So here's a scripture we, we all know and love. For God so loved the world that He gave Jesus, and whoever believes in Him won't die, but will have eternal life. If, if we picked up the, the devil's translation, it would say, The devil so hated the world that he seeks to rob us of all the good news about Jesus, and whoever lives in his lies experiences great loss of life. What about Psalms? It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for us. The devil is unmerciful and spiteful, always angry and abounding in unending cruelty towards us. What about Ephesians 2? Maybe my favorite scripture. If I could only take like a page of the Bible and I had to tear it out and live in a country where you had to kind of hide it in your pocket, I think I'd take Ephesians 2. Because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of His grace. There's there's even more to come. Expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. Let me read to you the antithesis of this. Because of God's great love for humanity, the devil, who is mercy deprived, tries to keep us spiritually dead to God. And in his ungrace, he tries to keep us bound to sin and death. The devil schemes to have us lower our eyes off of Jesus, to think that we are far from Jesus and left alone in the depths of darkness and despair. He does this so we cannot comprehend or experience the greatness of God's grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. He gets our eyes off of God's grace in Jesus so that we look to ourselves for salvation and place our faith in our own understanding and effort which cannot lead to God's grace or kindness or mercy. With murderous contempt, he attempts to disconnect us from God's good purpose for our lives and seeks to ensure that we never enjoy doing what God has prepared for us to do. So why would you and I be a target of the devil's schemes? It's quite simply this. Because God uh, loves us so dearly, and the devil hates God so greatly. That's the problem. Because God loves us so dearly, and the devil hates God so greatly, that we have a spiritual battle. That's also partly why it's important to know how loved you are by God. I, I shared this, I think, the first week, that you know, if you had, I, I won't say a celebrity couple's name, but just someone who's rich and famous, and they go on a trip to like some country that may be a little bit dangerous. They usually take some sort of bodyguards and security with them to protect their children. Why? Because they love their children, their children could be um, taken and hold, held ransom for money. And it's not that these evil people would, or people motivated by evil, would want to do harm to the children. It's that they know that to the parents they hold value. And so if we can hold them, we can get access to their funds. And then we'll just return the children and get some money. It's that kind of God loves you so much that you're in a spiritual battle. So the enemy thought he accomplished something on the cross. Obviously, the, the devil's scheming Against Jesus, remember Jesus in the wilderness, and Jesus has fasted <laughs> and for 40 days. And the devil comes to him and offers him everything. He says, just do this, and I'll give you this, and just prove that you're the Son of God by doing this, and I'll give you that. And the devil is trying to do everything to get Jesus to submit to him, to put up with his tactics and schemes. And Jesus just every single time pushes back with Scripture. It's interesting that Jesus pushes back with Scripture. He doesn't just say to the devil, do you know who I am? He uses scripture to press back against the the schemes. In other words, we we if Jesus has to stand on the word of God, we have to stand on the word of God. And then on the cross, the the devil would see Jesus dying. And there must have I, I don't really know, but he must have had a sense. As thick darkness covered the earth, the Bible says, Finally there is some victory. But Jesus is raised to life. And on the cross the enemy is totally destroyed. His schemes are destroyed. His power is destroyed. His authority is destroyed. His tactics are annihilated. Righteousness defeats wickedness. Truth triumphs lies. Reconciliation destroys dividing walls between people. Suddenly, all people receive the good news of Jesus. Life rises over death. So for those today who, who don't yet know the good news of Jesus, this, this is why Scripture puts so much importance on them knowing the good news because they, they, it's still on the thick darkness has covered the earth, alone and without hope in this world. Good news is like this bright light shining in to go, you no, know, there's, there's someone who has won the victory for you. And for those of us who've received the gospel of Jesus and, and know this wonderful news of being freed from sin and death, there's no longer, uh, Satan no longer has power over our lives. We're no longer bound. We're no longer captives. But we're free, Paul talks about earlier, we're free to live this new life that God has for us. And then our question should be, what does this new life look like? How do we live this new life free of bondage and sin? It's obviously not Perfection but it is in a way that glorifies God. And and so here we come back to righteousness and to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And when Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, again, there's this plurality of you together, put on righteousness. And when there's this put on righteousness, again, it's not your own righteousness, but to put on what is God's righteousness, put on His righteousness, which is given to you. So two things I I want to just talk through briefly because we obviously need a little bit of help. And one is the imputed imputed righteousness. Let's just chat about that a little bit. And that sounds maybe that sounds tricky. What that is is uh, it's it's God's gift of righteousness. So how do we grow in God's gift of righteousness? And how do we and then secondly there's infused righteousness. So imputed righteousness and infused righteousness, it's not as tricky as it sounds. And infused righteousness is God's goodness. How do we grow in God's goodness? So how do we grow in God's gift of righteousness that's imputed to us? And how do we grow in God's goodness, His righteousness that is infused in us? Which is, is probably where Paul's talking more about in this text. Um, so listen to what Paul talks, says about imputed righteousness. What, 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 what imputed righteousness is, is the righteousness of God that is given to us the righteousness of Jesus, that He is sinless and perfect, so when He dies on the cross, He makes a way for sinners. So it's like this. You, you go to a courtroom, and you have a fine, right, that you should pay because you did something illegal. And someone who is innocent, that there's no charge against, therefore there's no fine for them to pay, says, I will, out of my, my credit, pay for that. And they can be free of that fine now. It's been paid. Justice has been served. The fine has been, you know, settled, the, the, whatever. Uh, but, you know, I, I, not come in. Uh, I don't know how it's Okay, we're both sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. And she goes in and she's got a, a, a bill to settle. And so do I. And I come in and say, I'll pay that for, for you. And the judge goes, you can't pay it. You've got to pay your own one. And, you know, like, there's no way around this. How do we, we, someone has to come in to the story who owes nothing who can pay it all because they have no debt of their own and free? And that's how Jesus frees us. Being sinless and perfect, He comes and because of His righteousness, He covers our debt, our sin and, our, and the death that we deserve. And so that's why Paul talks about us being in Christ because we have to be kind of in His righteousness. We have to be covered by His goodness and that's an imputed righteousness. It's, it's a gift to us, not something we've deserved, not something we've earned. So... Paul writes in Romans 1, he says, um, I'm proud to talk about the gospel because it's through the gospel, the good news, that God's righteousness is revealed. The, righteousness, um, uh, are made, the righteous are made alive by faith in Jesus. So how do we have this imputed to us? Through faith in Jesus. The righteous are made alive through faith in Jesus. This is such a wonderful gift. The best way, and I think it falls a little bit, the best way I know to describe this is in a marriage ceremony. And I don't mean in any way to leave single people out, but, but God has given us marriage as a picture of Him and, the, and us. And so to look at it and to wonder at it is valuable, whether you're single or married, it doesn't matter. But what happens there is that two, someone makes, you know, you get a bride, I'm, I'm, I'm me, and I got a bride who committed their life to me. And a covenant was made. There was, I couldn't, I couldn't deserve that. In reality, I mean, I could, I could court. I'd obviously courted Nass. So I've, I've said, if you know, if she were to pass away, um, that's it. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life because courtship's hard. It's a, it's a hard work. It's a big effort. So I get, but that's still, you don't deserve. The effort isn't matched by the gift. The gift far outweighs. What you you can never deserve, a human being committing to your life to love you and to walk with you, this incredible gift, that's that's like the closest way that I can understand the gift of righteousness that we have in Jesus, reconciliation with God, is this undeserved commitment of God to us like a bride to a groom saying, I'll be yours. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, How is it possible that Jesus' death rescued He says, Jesus was sinless and he took on our sin so that his righteousness could be imputed to us. We become righteous through faith in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. And in Romans, great scripture, Paul says, trying to earn God's grace and forgiveness doesn't work. It has to be a gift. God's grace and forgiveness is a gift. That's how grace and forgiveness works. If you earned it, it's not grace and forgiveness. If you've deserved it, it's not grace and forgiveness. This, is a, this was a hard thing for me to learn in marriage. When Nas and I had conflict, she's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, show me. <laughs> Prove it. We've been married for, for 19 years, so there's been a lot of bad uh, mistakes in that time. Hopefully I think that one isn't a recent one, but it might be in my heart. Prove it. Show me you're sorry. What am I saying to her? Don't ask for grace and forgiveness. Ask for what you deserve. So earn it, and I'll give you what you deserve. What she's asking for and what the Bible describes of God's love flowing through us to one another is grace and forgiveness. God's love that we received in grace and forgiveness, we give to one another. So when someone comes and says, I'm sorry, I go, I understand. Uh, I forgive you. Because I've been forgiven I've been enabled to forgive. It's not. It doesn't mean it's as easy as God, because it's His nature to be gracious and not always ours. So Paul talk, talks about this free of charge death that has covered us. Jesus' cost was very expensive. Grace and forgiveness isn't cheap. You know, Nas also can't come to me and go, you know, you've received God's forgiveness. Just forgive me. It's not a big deal. Going like, yes, hold on a second. I do want to forgive you, but I just want you to remember, Jesus had to die for this gift. Part of me right now needs to die in order to graciously forgive you. Can you please pray for me to die well? Because everything in me wants to fight for my rights, my pride. I'm I'm battling this. There's a cost to this. And there must be a cost to it. Why? we, We would never understand what Jesus has done for us. But He went on the cross, not because it was easy, not because He was made for death, but because the value of grace and forgiveness outweighed the cost, the death that He had to face. The love of God poured out through Christ, reconciling us, was greater than the cost that He had to go through. So yes, there's pain. Yes, there's suffering but God loves us so much. So, you, you know, that kind of, Keller used to have this kind of, hey, remember, God loves you so much. But also, hey, remember, Jesus had to die because God loved you so much. Uh, your sin is very serious. So don't be insecure in your sin. God loves you. Don't live in guilt and shame. God really, really, really loves you. But don't be indifferent to your sin. Jesus had to die for it. It's a, it's a serious matter. Um, but imputed this. This imputed righteousness is this righteousness that is offered as a free gift from God through faith in Jesus. Yeah? Righteousness is this. Simply, what is righteousness? God is His character. If you talk about a character description of someone, God is holy. When we read in Revelations the, the, these creatures and the elders, and there's this like heavenly throne room, they, 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 what do they do? What do they sing of Him? They sing two things. Worthy, worthy, worthy. And holy, holy, holy. Scripturally, when something's repeated three times, it's a way of stating that it's a definite thing, indisputable. You know, we may—I don't know how we would maybe like a gavel in a court or write a law or put in a constitution. That—that's it. It's settled. That's 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 done. When in scripture something is repeated three times, it's saying this is this is like irrefutable truth. So worthy, worthy, worthy. God alone is worthy. Holy, holy, holy. The thing we know about God more than anything, almost, is that He's holy. How does holiness get demonstrated? The word to describe actions that come from holiness is righteousness, right behavior. So the the things that you see because someone is holy, perfect, are right behaviors, righteous behaviors that get derived from a holy being. We are not holy beings. I am not a holy being, and you are not a holy being. And so all of us, at times, don't have right behaviors. We are unrighteous and deserve of punishment. Jesus was not. And so this free gift of God is His righteousness imputed to us, which means we are free of blame, free of finger points, free of accusations because of His righteousness. It's, an, it's, an, it's a perfect righteousness. It's a righteousness without flaws or faults, without Monday mornings, without uh, being hangry. It's a perfect righteousness because it's derived from perfect holiness. And we get that given to us as a gift. And because of that, the, the, the language is that we have been justified. The, holy. Been called saints. Sinners have been called saints. The gavel's come down. You have been declared innocent because of faith in Jesus. Wow. What a gift. What a great gift. Um, but this is undeserved, gracious. Anyway, okay, so that, that's imputed righteousness. And Paul's not saying necessarily put on imputed the breastplate of imputed righteousness. He's talking to Christians who already, hopefully, understand this. Who already are, hopefully, walking out of the grace and forgiveness. And if you go look back, Paul's talking about relationships. Paul's like, you know, husbands and wives, this is how you should treat each other. Workers and and employees, this is how you should treat each other. Uh, Church, this is how you should submit to one another. There's all these relational um, imperatives that Paul's like, this is how you should behave towards one another. And then he goes, finally put on the armor, here's your spiritual battle that you have to fight. He's he's not trying to save anyone. He's not trying to convince anyone about the righteousness of Jesus. He's talking to people who have already received this imputed righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, this is something we can remind ourselves of every single day. Whenever you feel guilt or shame, remind yourself of the righteousness you have in Jesus Christ. You cannot earn your salvation. Your faith in Jesus alone can save you, right? But other than that, Paul goes, no, there's way more. You need infused righteousness. Not only is God going to declare you righteous as a legal standing before Him, but now He's going to begin to infuse you with His righteousness. He's actually, through the work of the Holy Spirit, called you to do good works that He's prepared you for, and He's going to infuse you with His character and nature so that you can actually begin to live like God would want you to in this world. So you're not left in your uh, fallen and sinful nature alone but now empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually surprise yourself with godly works. Have any of you been surprised by something? You go like, oh my gosh, God is at work in my life. I was just patient. <laughs> Thanks, Chris, for raising your hand. I was just kind. I wasn't angry when I, I would have been. I really actually did forgive that person. I didn't uh, want my, that person who harmed me. I, I actually want the best for them. What is going on inside of me? God is infusing you through the Holy Spirit with his character. With his, so put on righteousness. Uh, this is the same as in Corinthians and that, where uh, it would say, like, we are being uh, transformed bit by bit into uh, his glory. We are being made more and more like Jesus. So you should be more like Jesus at the end of next week than you are at the moment, which is really exciting. Who would you like to be more like? Uh, yeah, Jesus. But I mean, is there anyone else you'd like to be more like than, than not Jesus? Yeah. So in uh, Isaiah, it says, God's righteousness is the actions that overflow from His holiness. Isaiah 5.16. Um, so to be infused with God's character is to be transformed to, uh, by God to act rightly in this world. How am I supposed to act in this world? How should I be in relationship with God? How should I be in relationship with others? That is to be righteous, to behave rightly before God, to behave rightly towards other people. And so we have the spiritual battle. We need to put on righteousness. Listen to what Paul says. This This is a great text from 2 Corinthians 6. Listen to Paul. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. So Paul, just listen, he's not trying to convince anyone that he's a Christian. He's not trying to prove through his works that he's a Christian. He said, through our lives, we show the work of God in us, and we prove to be real ministers of God. How does he prove to be real ministers of God? He's going to say that the the overflow of his life is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in his life. And that proves that, that they are truly ministering on God's behalf. In other words, a minister of God shouldn't be lacking in the character of God. A minister of God should really be demonstrating the character of God so that we are able to say, like Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul's able to say, you know, you should see some characteristics of godliness flowing from my life that you can imitate because I'm learning these things from God and He's turning me t- into and we'll all collectively become more and more like Christ. So he says... Um, We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten. Who's been beaten? I haven't. I mean, maybe let's just move on, actually. We have been beaten, been put in jail, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, not to watch World Cup rugby, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. 2 Corinthians 6. What an incredible scripture! Look at all the injustice, the hardships, the challenges, the schemes that come against us. But we stand as people who God is working through and we prove patience and kindness and grace and the power of God overflows from our lives and we stand, what does he say? With the weapons of righteousness, right actions, attacking the enemy with our right hand and defending against his schemes with our left we are ambidextrous in this battle. We are we are moving forward in Corinthians and obviously in, in Ephesians with the breastplate of righteousness, God's protection against our hearts, being being deceived, being led astray, being easily offended. Being self-willed, the heart's deceitful above all things. God's protection over our hearts is His righteousness, is His, is His right behavior, His right action. How do we most protect our hearts? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we learn how to live in right ways. And we begin to love what God loves. We begin to respond as God would want us to respond. We begin to do what God would have us do. So how do you, just in closing, how do you go about putting on, the on on righteousness? I mean, wouldn't it be great if actually when you became a Christian, you woke up in the morning and you checked your closet and there was like supernaturally this armor of God? Hi, <laughs> sweet. Well, I'll uh, put on the belt of truth that will that will help me i'll put on this breastplate of righteousness you know if we're in an unfriendly culture we'll be like japan with tattoos i'll just like put my suit over it so no one can see it because otherwise i'll end up in trouble but that's okay i'm still protected by the armor of god i'm ready for the spiritual battle today if we're in a friendly to christians culture then we just like shine it up and walk out all proud of it we don't get that how do we put it on Here's a few questions uh, to help us moment by moment. Number one, when you're thinking about your actions, does this align with my commitment to love and honor God in this moment? C- can I do this out of a commitment to love and honor God in this moment? Um, I'm I'm so glad to be married to Ness, But it's I don't need like a big manual on how to honor her. I really don't. I don't need a book written by some great author about how to honor her. Just moment by moment, I can be in, a, in, a, I can be in, in, in any moment, anywhere, and go, if I follow through with what I'm thinking, will this honor my wife? If I can't, I shouldn't do it. If I can, then this is probably fine. Well, how much more, more God? Now, kids can do this. My kids are really wonderful. They are. But they don't always do everything that we would love. And not everything that we would love they should do. But I don't need to give them a rule book. All I can call them into is right relationship. And hey, before you make your decision, can you just think about if you can do that in love toward us, to honor us. That will help you. Number two, is this action or response an expression of genuine love and care for others? It's a really difficult thing when people come and say, you know, God's told me to do this. Well, one, you know, maybe he has kind of led you to believe that. But also it shuts down the conversation, right? I mean, when, if, if Nas no, she wouldn't. If someone, this happens quite a lot actually, being a pastor, you hear this a lot like so God's, and sorry, this might have happened, I, I don't, God's called us to go to a different church. That's totally fine. It really, it really is. God may have some wonderful plan to bless that church with this beautiful person. Great. But, but it's also like a no conversation, don't ask me questions, because God's spoken, right? We're, so it's like, it's a bit, it's, just, it's sometimes, your, your, your God speaking to you shouldn't be disruptive to your relationships with others unnecessarily. Obviously, like, you know, in some cultures and in ours, there's some families that it's like family first, then God may be allowed. And so putting God first is going to cause disruption in family. You know, we've, we feel God's called us to be in community. We feel God's called us to uh, sow it to the nations. We feel God's called us to live in these ways and uphold these values. And your family doesn't like it. Well, that's disruption for the sake of righteousness. But there can also be times where it's like, no, I feel God saying this and, and my friends say, well, I'm not too sure, Mark. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to obey God because to not do this would be disobedient to Him. Well, it's just putting a pebble in the shoe of your friendship that, or relationship that's un, unnecessary, right? It's difficult. So a question we can ask, not to label on the point, the question we can ask is, is also, is this action or response an expression of genuine love and care for others? I think I've done this incredibly wrong. A lot, but there's no, there's no example of this coming to my mind. Whether it's God's forgiveness or my pride, I don't know. But the example is a, is a good one, and I don't mean to put myself in a good light. Just follow me around, and I'll show you examples of bad light. But when we felt called to move to Australia, and we really did, I remember saying, uh, we're living in California. I, I, I didn't want to go anywhere else. It was the promised land for me. I, I actually thought it would be better. Maybe, Jesus, you could just come and bring heaven here. Uh, that would suit me quite well, actually. Is that okay? And I remember Nass saying, I really feel like God might call us to spend a season in Australia. And I was like, if there is one country I hope to never see in my life, even on holiday, it's Australia. I never want to go there. And I remember waking up one morning and turning to Nass and going, oh no, there is this deep desire to love on Australia. And I feel desperate for this country, which yesterday I felt indifferent about, even less than indifferent. And then, you know, it just grew and grew and grew and after about a year of this thing growing and being like, I really think we need to go and, and go plant a church. We, we both felt that. Went to our eldership team, so we were on a t- pastor that was on a team of elders and we went and shared that with them. And, all of them, to a person, went, no, we don't think that's what God has for you. What do I do in that moment? Maybe, maybe this is an example of disobedience. I, I, but our, our idea was, well, Paul tells us about our, we do these things in community, togetherness, we walk with God. So if the people that we, we're submitted to in this community are all saying no, or at least not yet, then surely submission looks like no, or not yet. So we didn't. And God was just preparing us for a little God move. You know what God did? Not for us exclusively, but He allowed worldwide, or well, well, the, the GFC, Global financial crisis. Thank you. Good times. <laughs> so the house that, that we owned, which was worth a lot, was now worth a little. And at that moment, the elders came and said, "After two years, "Hey, if you, Australia's still in your heart, we actually feel like we'd love to support that." The interesting story about that is that morning I said to Nas, I can wait no longer. I think I'm going to have to resign. And without telling anyone, uh, that morning, my boss, the captain of the team, stopped at our house on the way to elders meeting and said, hey, I'd like to bring this up, but if Australia's still in your heart, we'd, I'd like to open the door if the team's for it. He, he didn't have a clue that what, what was what we had discussed that morning. Anyway, the GFC had hit. We have to sell our house to move here. We, we sell it for exactly the amount we owe in the mortgage. And the real estate agent says, this is literally what they say, I love so much what God is doing in your lives that I'm forfeiting my fees. I, I, that's my way of, of being part of whatever God's doing. So we come with nothing except what we sold the car for, I think-ish. So that was God's like special way of going, you're going to have to trust me, and I'm not going to let you trust anything else. I'm not going to let it be easy for you in any other way. You're going to have to cling on to me, which is great. It's, it's, it's a wonderful story. All I'm trying to show you is sometimes doing what's right for others doesn't fit into our time frames or our, our, our plans. We, it doesn't make sense to us. And even in hindsight, may go, that was terrible timing. If we went when we wanted to go, we would arrive with so much money. God goes, but I don't want you to. I need time. And, and it's, it's, I'll, I'll put you in a team and collectively. Now I'm talking about big God stories, but this is everyday stuff. This is friendships, this is colleagues this is children, this is parents, this is marriage, this is dating. Do we honor and love each other in our actions? And we can think about, do these actions and attitudes. Okay, I, I won't talk so much about the last two, but number three, would this action appeal to my weakness, fears, anger, insecurities, or greed? This is simply going, you know, like, does it just suit me? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm naturally fearful. I'm naturally fearful. Oh yeah, I think I should do this thing um, that leaves me lacking in fear. Or is it just is it just kind of giving into your natural personality and fears? Or is this really what God's the faith that God's putting the right action God's calling you to live out? And this is like next. This is like right. You know, first go through: is this right relationship with God? Is this right action towards others? And then we're going a bit deeper: is this kind of avoiding? my own weaknesses or appeals to my own weaknesses, fears, anger, insecurities, or greed. Isn't it always easier to judge other people's weaknesses? I can't believe you struggle with that. I mean, my struggles are real, but those are so unnecessary. And number four, would this action lead to secrecy, deception, or isolation from God and others? Remember... It's God's righteousness, so it's not about right and wrong. Remember, Satan comes as an angel of light, so he's not going to come with absolute, wicked, evil temptation. It could just be distraction. It could just be making sure you're too busy to love others well. You're too caught up in a hobby to have time to serve others well. It could, be, it could be so many like good things that are, just have an inappropriate place in you and my life. But when we think about it, it's like, does this lead to secrecy, deception? Secrecy is like one of the... Would I, would I boldly get up and share this with others? Deception, would I feel like I have to tell this in a way... Because I know if I just told it as it is, people might not agree. And isolation is simply just going, is this drawing me towards other people or is this leaving me more on my own? Because you have the imputed righteousness of Jesus if your faith is in Jesus... Because you have been given this great gift of God's grace of salvation, justification, you have been adopted as His child if your faith is in Jesus. You have not earned it. You have not deserved it. Because of that, God has given us His Holy Spirit so that we might do the works that He has planned for us. And because God has good works planned for you, and because He has an enemy that hates everything He loves, you and I have a spiritual battle. And because we have a spiritual battle, we have to put on God's righteousness to teach us, to show us, to lead us, to protect our hearts, to enable us to live rightly toward God and to live rightly toward others. So this morning we come to communion. And this picture of communion is the the grape juice... The blood of Jesus that was spilt, the new covenant, the bread being the body of Jesus that was broken for our sins. He's paid the penalty and He's washed us in His blood. Uh, his, His grace and mercy, His righteousness covers us. But in His resurrection, His righteousness enables us, infuses us, empowers us. To now go and live for God. If there are things in your life that you are just so sick of seeing on repeat, then know this this morning as you come to communion. God, through His Holy Spirit, wants to empower and enable you to break that. To not be in bondage to that. To see attitudes and behaviors, uh, the power of them broken in your life. To see His righteousness cover your heart. For it to be in your right hand and to be in your left hand and to go up against the enemy and his schemes and to have victories. You are not waiting, justified by Jesus, now waiting to go to heaven. You are justified by Jesus and empowered by his Spirit to live righteously in this world and to do the works that God has prepared for you. But we need help. And so Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of me. You cannot do it alone. One, remember, you're not earning it. It's a gift. But secondly, remember that from this gift that you have received, you need to put on God's righteousness, not your own. You need something you don't have. I need something I don't have to relate properly with God and to relate properly with my wife and to be a good brother to you. I need and you need what we don't have, but what God wants to place within us and to infuse in us. And we can have that great joy of not just going, oh my gosh, so-and-so became a Christian, but that great joy of saying, wow, do you see the work of God in so-and-so's life? I used to remember when they were like this, but look how God has made them like that. Infuse them with His character and nature. And the joy of seeing from our lives and from each other's the righteousness, the right behavior of God overflowing. What a great fragrance to have around. So as you come to communion, let's remember this. One, let's remember the gift of righteousness that we've received by grace, by the goodness of Jesus. And let's also remember that God wants to Uh, put on us or, or have us put on his righteousness to infuse that in us, to make us righteous in our actions towards God and in our actions towards one another. And in doing that, defeat the enemy's schemes who comes to disrupt our relationships. Yeah? When you're ready, come on down. And why don't you take communion with someone? Why don't you pray together with someone this morning?